Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. I'm your host, Hannah Sampson. Flying these days sounds like an incredible bargain. Cost is a key focus, not just for the Ryanairs and Spirit Airlines of the world, which are known for cheap flights and limited service, but legacy carriers like United and American are introducing stripped-down fares to better compete. And even overseas flights are getting the bargain treatment. You might have noticed headlines recently about $65 one-way transatlantic flights. But what are travelers giving up when they opt for the lowest price? And are the overhead bins really off limits if you fly cheap? Spoiler alert, not always, not exactly. On today's episode of the Skiff Podcast, we're talking about the true cost of cheap flights, why airlines are fighting to capture price-sensitive travelers, and what they're charging for instead. With us today in the office is Brian Summers, Skiff's airline business reporter, and joining us by Skype is Editor-in-Chief Jason Clampett. And we'll also hear from some interviews that both Brian and Jason did with airline CEOs. Brian and Jason, thanks so much for being here. Our pleasure. Great to be here. Brian, can you just kind of tell us briefly how we got to this point where it seems like everybody's racing to provide the lowest price for flights? Okay. It's it's really pretty simple. Um, consumers want cheap flights. They always have. Um, one of the things that they never really wanted is like the bad food that you get on on board those microwavable dinners and stuff like that people are just looking for the cheapest way they can get to europe to start their vacation um and sort of what, what's happened in the last couple of years that's made this possible is new aircraft so you have the boeing 787 you now have a new aircraft called the boeing 737 max they're just a lot more fuel efficient than planes were before. If an airline is paying less money for fuel, it means uh, that they can offer cheaper fares. Uh, another thing that these low-cost carriers have done is they really pack on seats on airplanes. They might have 50 or 75 more seats uh, than Delta, American, and United. And when you do that, um, more people on the plane means the cost for each seat should be less. Of course, it's really uncomfortable, uh, but a lot of people don't mind. Mm-hmm. Jason, you want to add anything to that timeline? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with the timeline, and I would just reemphasize Brian's message that people like things cheap. Um, that's that's their first loyalty in almost every case. And you talked about getting to Europe cheaply, but um, before we really dwell on the international part of the conversation, we should say that there's a tradition of low-cost carriers in the U.S. for domestic flights. Um, Southwest and JetBlue, but uh, to an even greater extent, Spirit and Frontier. Um, But now the big legacy carriers are also getting into that game. Um, Brian, you wrote recently in a story about American United, consumers aren't going to like this product, but basic economy fares are a sign of the times. Travelers are already buying tickets on Spirit and Frontier that come without free large carry-ons. So why shouldn't American and United offer a similar option? Um, So why aren't consumers going to like this? And are they 
going to take advantage of it anyway. Well, people get used to certain perks on airlines. They may not like airlines, uh, but they've gotten used to this idea that they can pack a, a carry-on bag filled with lots of stuff and, and, and put it in the overhead bin and, and not be charged for it. And now it's it's complicated, as you mentioned, American United aren't really going to charge for overhead bins, but they are going to keep passengers essentially from, from, from using them, or they're going to be the last people to be able to use them. And I just feel like uh, people are going to get to the airport and they're not going to realize the product that they bought. They're going to go online, they're going to look for the cheapest price, and there's going to, they're, they're going to be surprised. And people don't like being surprised. And, and also, I cover airlines all the time. And one of the things that I find odd, whether it's security or, or anything, is people get extremely anxious in airports and they get upset. <laughs> I can't so imagine something why. that wouldn't bother them anywhere else is going to bother them in an airport. Jason, this is your favorite thing to rave about or rant about, I should say. Um, talk about what really annoys you about the coverage of the introduction of these fares. Yeah, I, I think the the immediate media response is, "Hey, big airlines are taking away your overhead bin space," um, as opposed to the headline, which should be, "The cheapskates among you who only want to pay nineteen dollars each way will now have to pay an extra fee if you want to put your bag somewhere special." That's really the headline. Like, they're not taking anything away to people who want to pay a decent price, um, and, and and just to. I think some of the pushback has been, oh, this will become the norm now, um, so airlines will take away more and more things from us. I don't see that being the case. Um, this is about American United and Delta um, carving out a new niche of travel, thinking that they can carve out a new niche of travelers from the kind of spirit frontier crowd um, and, and take that business. We'll see if they're able to do it. On the flip side, though, airfares are still so, so dirt cheap. Um, when I came to the New York office last week, my round trip airfare from San Francisco to Newark Airport was $226.40. And I could use the overhead bin, and I even, because of status, I got up to uh, uh, the premium economy seat. That's insane to fly transcontinental. Um, and I still could put my bags in the overhead bin. So airfares are really, really cheap as they are. They're making them even cheaper now and taking away some frills. Um, but I think consumers will rush to them in the same way that they've rushed to Spirit and Frontier fares. Jason is usually the contrarian here, uh, <laughs> but I will say that uh, I talk to airlines a lot and I think we're going to see uh, a day when airlines are actually charging for the overhead bins and more often because you have, uh, you have more demand than there is supply in these bins and the easiest way to make sure that people will have bin space when they get on the plane is to charge for it, even if you only charge $10. And there's a lot of airline people that are out there looking at, could we someday charge everyone for bin space? Is, does Spirit not do that already? Spirit does that already. Okay. Um, but you're talking American, United, Delta. Will they do it at some point? What What are some of the other frills that you give up with the basic guest of the basic economy? One of the biggest things is that you don't get to choose your seat in advance. And uh, that might be just an annoyance for a solo traveler. Maybe you'll be in the, the, the last row in the middle seat. But uh, if you're on United and you're with a family, they say that they will not guarantee that your family will sit together and there's nothing that you can do. American is being a little bit nicer and they're going to say they're still going to try their best. They might give the whole family bad seats, but at least they'll be together. I, I think that not uh, 
picking a seat in advance is going to annoy people. Another thing is uh, Jason talked about uh, for $226, he got to sit in premium economy for free. Uh, if he buys a basic economy fare, even as an elite traveler, he's not going to get that extra legroom seat for free. And Jason, your stance is just like stop complaining and pony up the extra 50 bucks, right? No, I'm just saying, you know, Brian did uh, raise an important point. If I do buy the, the cheapest seat possible with these new basic economy classes, I won't be able to upgrade uh, even with status. But still, I can buy the $226 transcontinental ticket. So um, that's still a that's still a steal. Um, I'd also say the what Brian mentioned about there's nothing you can do to sit next to each other. Well, yeah, there is. You can buy a slightly more expensive ticket you can pay $17 more per seat or you know <laughs> or something like that so there's always something you can do and flights are still in most cases except when you're talking about going to smaller airports that aren't served by multiple airlines in you know uh, low tier markets um, flights there are going to be expensive and they always have been um, but we're talking between a lot of major cities here and, and that's where you're seeing these complicated fare classes. Brian, you mentioned that Spirit does already charge for the overhead bin. And um, there was a story recently where the CEO of Spirit said he expects American and United, their strategy um, for basic economy to backfire because passengers will be annoyed at what they're giving up and surprised. Um, whereas at least on Spirit, they know that they're in for kind of a miserable experience. Um, so is is suddenly like spirit in this unusual position of of being able to take the high road because at least people know what to expect as opposed to a frequent American passenger getting there and realizing they've lost a lot of the perks that they used to enjoy? Yeah, I think the spirit CEO is being a little bit overly optimistic. The, <laughs> these new fares are going to hurt uh, spirit and frontier. I think you might get in a situation where two things happen. Uh, one, passengers are actually upset with legacy carriers. But at the same time, it steals share away from from uh, Spirit and, and Frontier. And and what does Spirit and Frontier possibly have left to charge for? Uh, I think we always uh, joke that one of these airlines is going to eventually charge for the bathroom. I don't think that's going to happen. But one of the biggest things that Frontier and Spirit are going to do, and I think it's sort of fun, is they're going to vary their fees based on what time you're flying, what day, how much demand there is. So it's it's sort of ridiculous now that if you check a bag on any airline, the price is a set fee of $25. Um, because some days there's a lot of bags uh, and some days there aren't a lot of bags. And, and you can just vary the price for all these fees just like you do the ticket prices. Mm-hmm. Um- Jason, you talked to the CEO of British Airways, Alex Cruz, um, about how this has kind of been an education for passengers in Europe. So it's not the addition of all these fees is not like uniquely a U.S. thing. Um, what did what did he tell you about how they're dealing with passenger expectations? Well, I, I'm a little like the um, Spirit Air CEO with my skepticism if how a legacy carrier can pull off a cheap product too. Um, I like to think of the old um, Carol Burnett skit where they're on a low-cost carrier, and this is back in the 70s when they had just 
start popping up and you have uh, Harvey Corman sitting in a real, you know, a full fare seat where they're getting food and there's a cushion and right behind him, Tim Conway is sitting in a seat that there's really no cushion. Um, he doesn't have a seat belt and there's no window. Um, you can actually, you see him stick his hand out there. And I think that the challenge with the legacy carriers having the low cost flights on the same plane is you can see the clear difference in service. It's this very, you know, um, uh, radical, um, uh, class differentiation. Um, and so, so I do worry that, um, it's going to breed resentment among uh, among passengers. But when I mentioned that to Alex Cruz, he said he said not really. Um, and he he drew a, he drew a little chart where he said these are our passengers now, and he said these are the two areas that we're chasing. And on the on one hand of it was more of the the business class traveler um, that you can get them to buy better products, and we're chasing them with um, uh, better food and, and service on board and stuff. And he said, and here's on the other side, and this is the low-cost flyer, and we're getting them with price, price, price. And he said, these are two new segments that we're chasing after um, and that we're focusing on that aren't taking away from this big segment in the middle. Um, and I think that's probably the belief among the other legacy carriers, too, that you can chase these other chase these new areas on the low end and even on the high end and not hurt uh, the existing uh, passengers that you have. Let's hear just a little clip from your interview with Alex Cruz. I think it is every similar line now in, in Europe charges for a bag or has a fare without a bag. I think everyone yeah. does. Rolled back 10 years ago. My God, that would have been revolutionary in yeah. Lufthansa in France and BA and KLM. It's crazy. Now, now we're in. Yeah. And it is accepted. And um, they're probably, so now we're sort of in the seat period, perhaps. Uh, food on board, I think we're nearly there. I think there's only going to be two airlines left uh, that, that don't charge for, for food short haul. Uh, there may be a couple more things. I'm not sure there are many. I don't think there's an infinite number of things that you can do. I think ultimately we're trying to uh, be competitive. Uh, you know, I want people to travel with us, not with our competitors. So when it comes down to economies and non-premium seats, uh, we actually do have to consider the price factor a great deal. Uh -huh. That makes a huge difference. I think people should understand that this is not the first time that U.S. airlines have reacted in a similar way to a threat from low-cost airlines. Uh, basic economy may work. It may not work. The last time airlines tried something like this to, to thwart low-cost airlines, it actually didn't work. Uh, the listeners may remember these airlines called uh, TED, which was United's low-cost airline, uh, Song, which was Delta's. Um, there were others, too. There was Metrojet from uh, U.S. Airways, which, which wasn't as quirky, but it was the same idea. Um, and so airlines realized that the whole airline within an airline technique, at least in the United States, didn't work so well. So what American United and, not, and Delta are not doing right now is creating their own ultra-low-cost carriers. They just decided, okay, we're, we're going to set aside 10 seats in the back of the plane for people who are cheap, but, but we're not trying the airline within an airline again. Hmm. Um, let's, let's talk inter international airlines and transatlantic. Why I mentioned a $65 uh, one-way transatlantic flight that was recently in the news. Yes, um, if anyone got one of those, they should call the Skift headquarters um, because <laughs> it, it's sort of akin to winning the lottery. 
<laughs> yeah, I kind of think of those $65 fares like, uh, you know, if you're in the Northeast Corridor, you see the Bolt Bus and Megabus and the $1 tickets. And I used to go back and forth between Philly and New York, and I would, three months in advance, buy all of the $1 tickets between <laughs> New York and Philly that I could. Um, but I had to do it three months in advance at like midnight when they went on sale, because I think there were only two on each bus. And I think it's the same with these Norwegian flights. Okay, so $65 is a dream scenario. But what's, what's the actual like, is it like $100? Like what's, what is the actual low cost that people are able to find? And, and more importantly, um, why is that happening? Like why, why are they able to charge even $200 for yeah. you know uh, one way. I mean I just took a look recently at some of Norwegian routes and uh summer which is a high demand time it looked like you'd be paying somewhere between 450 and 650 uh round trip which isn't bad uh, they're going to charge you for food they're going to charge you for other things um but you know it's a competitive industry right now and you've got a lot of airlines that are that are matching Norwegian's prices yeah, I think, you know, the idea of a $450 to $650 flight between transatlantic flight in summer or the, or high season is, is really insane. Insane in a, in a good way if you're a, a, a cheap consumer. Um, it just, you know, that's, that's typically eight to, eight to $1,400 flights, um, during the summer. And, 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 um, the idea that you can go back and forth for that price and on a, on a nice aircraft too, you know, Norwegian isn't flying. Um, you know, like a spirit airplane where the seats fall off. Um, they're flying these nice new Dreamliners or Brian knows the, the proper name of the narrow body, uh, single aisle jets that they're going to be flying too. These are, these are good aircrafts, comfortable seats. Um, and, uh, you know, you're flying to Europe in the summer for 500 bucks. Yeah. And there are also some pricing perks that I don't think people realize, uh, the, the, there's still a lot of intricacies with legacy fare carriers that you don't see on Norwegian. You don't on Norwegian. You don't generally have to stay over a Saturday night. You don't have to stay ten days. You can stay three. You can buy two one ways. You can come. You can fly into one city and leave it from a different one. It's just a much simpler way that they price their tickets and, and more customer friendly. Uh, and part of the strategy is this is a story you just wrote um, is that they're not necessarily going like. JFK to Heathrow, right? I mean, this is smaller airports on both ends. Yeah, they're using smaller airports uh, on both ends, especially in the United States. Uh, places like Stewart, New York, uh, which is a small airport. Hartford. There are actually a lot of people that think Norwegian is going to fail and fail miserably in this <laughs> thing. Uh, one of the things that uh, low-cost carriers like to do is if you fly from New York to London, there are literally so many people that want to fly that route every day that if your pricing is low enough, you'll have no problem filling the plane 365 days a year. It's just nonstop stream of people. Uh, but nobody knows if there are at any price 160 people that want to go from uh, Stewart to uh, Scotland three, four times a week. Right. Uh, and and one question I think has been, okay, so I'll, I even will stomach like a three-hour flight on Frontier from you know, New York to Fort Lauderdale because it's it's limited. Um, but for how long will a, someone be willing to endure the low cost experience? Um, you know, if it's not a, dom a quick domestic hop. Um, and Brian, you 
as part of this series of um, on the passenger experience with international airline CEOs, you talked to Willie Walsh, CEO of International Airlines Group, um, about that very subject. IAG owns airlines, including British Airways, Aer Lingus, and Iberia. So let's hear what uh, Willie Walsh had to say. If I go back 10 years ago, uh, the argument then was probably that the maximum range of uh, short haul, low cost was about four hours. And beyond four hours, it wouldn't work because customers wouldn't accept the idea that you had to pay for water, pay for a drink, pay to check in a bag, pay for a meal. But Norwegian has clearly demonstrated that, uh, you know, the consumer is happy uh, to do that. So are we talking about only, right now we're talking about transatlantic US um, to Europe, um, but low cost, long haul is really something that has been a discussion globally, right? Like for, for routes over and above what we're talking about here? Right. We are seeing it globally. Uh, now I'm hearing that, yes, customers will fly from the U.S. to Europe, you know, six, seven, eight, even 10 hour flight and be willing to be uncomfortable. Uh, but Asia, Australia to the United States might just be uh, too far. There's an airline called AirAsia X, and they're starting to fly to the United States, but they're actually starting with a pretty short route, uh, Osaka to Honolulu. And I think that they understand that anything longer than that might be a tougher sell. What's your threshold, Jason? Yeah, I would throw in that <laughs> my threshold on a low-cost carrier is uh, I'll put my in-laws on it. Um, the on uh, For Norwegian, I think it's important to point out, they also do fly Oakland to Gatwick. Um, so that's a nine-and-a-half-hour flight. Um, I think eastbound and westbound, it's, a, it's even a longer flight. Um, and so... People are people are doing that, and they're getting off the planes and still walking, which which amazes me. Yeah, their configuration on the seven eight sevens is tight, but it's not insane. And they also have premium economy, which I think helps. So you have all of these airlines around the world charging less for their flights because they're competing on price, but they still have to make money, and that results in fees for a whole range of things. Brian, you talked to the CEO of Emirates, Tim Clark, about what kind of options the airline is considering charging for. It's becoming more competitive, let's say, interesting. And, uh, and I have to be honest, as I said earlier, because the certain segments of our, of our, pro, our, of our markets have become deeply discounted, we're having to look and see whether we can extract more value through the ancillary revenue stream, somewhere we've never traditionally gone. Uh, but the digital world tells us that that's the way people are thinking. They are prepared to pay on a, a la carte basis where the value is clear to them and, and, and is delivered to them on a manner they expect they will pay for it. So what are you looking at charging for? Well, you, you know, you, you, you might go after a second bag or a weight allowance uh, supplement. You may go after seat selection, um, uh, where you pay up front. And you know something? This is not for us trying to add value. A lot of our, our consumers are very concerned because we have a lot of families and groups traveling. They all want to sit together. And it drives a lot of what people do and when they do it and why they do it. They are basically prepared to pay more to get peace of mind that if you're a, 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 a family with two young children, that you can sit in a quad with the two kids on either, uh, in between and control them. 
So you've got people, hen parties, stag parties, golfers, footballers, you know, they all go in groups and they strength in numbers, they like to you know, do whatever it is yeah. they're going to do. They really don't want to be all over the show. They want to be together. And they're willing to pay for it. And they're willing to pay for it, yeah. Doesn't, you're, not, you're not ripping them off. Uh, but it gives you the ability to administer that inventory control in a better manner. Simply by saying, those seats are locked up. They're paid for. We can't do anything with those now. So we have to populate around. So as more and more people get into the notion that if you want to uh, sit together or AC, you've got to pay for it. Um, so that, that, there's, there's that. Um, uh, there, are, there are other areas that we're looking at. Um, actually lifting what could be an economy. So if you want a better meal that we're prepared to give you, you can pay for it. So if you'd like a glass of champagne, a bottle of champagne, if you want this kind of thing, a bit like uh, BA had done recently. Uh, so you get the, the standard meal, but if you want to lift that for any reason, you can pay for it. So, oh, well, you can, you can offer premium checking if you want. You can offer expedited central search for those that would like our chauffeur drive on a pay basis, uh, you know, in the, you're in the rural part of Germany and you want to get to Frankfurt and the choice is a taxi or a train and bus and well, we'll give you a Mercedes, but you pay for it. Uh, we'll put a margin on the cost to us and everybody's happy. So there is a bit of an a la carte thing that we will allow in the digital environment yeah. to put that in the face of people and say, yes, in your iPhone, you said, well, I have all that. Um, and the trick then is to be able to deliver that operationally and logistically to make sure that you, you deliver what they're paid for. Yeah, I think that, you know, after after uh, listening to what um, uh, Tim Clark uh, said here about uh, things that they're looking to charge for, I think the last five or six years, especially in the U.S., has been about airlines figuring out what fees they can charge for, what things they can charge for, and that make people angry versus that that makes people not that angry. I think that food has been one of those examples where, you know, I feel sorry for comedians because when airlines took away food, it took away all the, you know, the starting jokes for all the worst comedians. Um, and, um, but I don't think consumers got really upset outside of saying, oh, I, you know, I wish I had food, but then, you know, it's not good food anyway. Uh, so now they're selling you a little better food and, 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 and that's fine. And I don't think passengers mind paying for that. I don't think passengers mind paying for additional bags uh, past the first one. Um, I think they do mind about seat assignment fees. I think that can be a challenge in, in some places. Some airlines are better than others. Um, and I think that they don't mind paying fees for, you know, if they have a non-refundable ticket, um, you know, uh, paying for a sensible uh, fare or sensible cost uh, for changing their ticket. Um, I think it's the other, the, the little things that seem like you're being nickels and dimed that are a problem. But I think airlines have become smarter about that. But Brian probably has a different perspective. I do my best to try to pay as few fees as possible. Um, but I also like this idea of unbundling. Um, I'm flying back to Los Angeles today, and I would really like an aisle seat. And United has already sold all the aisle seats. So there's, there'd be a big amount of money that I would pay right now out of my own pocket if they could guarantee me one. Um, but it's not even available. That sort of annoys me. Another thing that I would pay for, as I mentioned before, is uh, I consider uh, carry-on space in the overheads to be a pain point. 
I try not to get anxious. I'm a professional, but the question is, will my bag fit or will it not? And I would definitely pay $25 if my airline could assure me that I could put my bag directly above my seat. I could spend more time in the lounge. I could relax. I could know I'd be getting off the plane and going straight home because I hate baggage claim. <laughs> I was going to say, why don't you just check your bag? I will never check a bag. Nor will I. So I mean, I'm we are. <laughs> I have a kid on the way and I hear that it's going to be different then. Uh, but if I'm flying alone, I'll never check a bag. Sure. Well, Brian and Jason, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Hannah. We're holding our first ever Skift Global Forum Europe on April 4th in London. Find out about this and other events at forum.skift.com. This show was produced by Ben Glowey, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening.